Hey, and welcome to another. Oh, come on, that was a little lackluster. Do that again. What are you? What? That are was you... pretty blah. Really? Yeah, that was. Just listen. I just, I, my antibodies are all. Like, <laughs> they haven't even kicked in yet. How do you know? <laughs> you know about anything about antibodies? <laughs> Could very well be suffering some flu-like symptoms right now. Oh, all right, fine. fine. All right, let's go. This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything about assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Okay, really? Like, so you made me redo that, and then Steve just goes, banter, banter. That's as usual. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I'm held to a, to a different standard, I think. <laughs> you want to you do that part again? Contact the, the human rights trial. I'll do it again if you do it again. <laughs> okay. I, this is the third time. Okay, fine. Third hey. time's good. Hey, well, <laughs> hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter! <laughs> Actually, that was really good. Uh, hey, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Uh, it's me again. And uh, Axel Rose is here. Yeah, hey, baby. <laughs> AKA. I have no idea what Axel Rose sounds like. No, I think that was pretty good, actually. <laughs> got to give Steve a South Park name. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we, where, what, what are we doing? Hey, uh, we're doing a podcast. Um, welcome, everybody. Um, I think we were doing one of those. Yeah. How's it working out? Seems to be going okay. It's 245 episodes. So, uh, you know, 200 episodes, over yeah. 200 episodes. That still blows me away. 200 episodes. What the hell is going cray, on? Cray, You know what we should do? What should what? we do? We should rebrand. <laughs> yeah, I think there's been mention of that. Yeah, everybody knows us as AT Banter. We should change it to something that nobody knows, so they'll have a hard time finding us. No, no. Like, let's lose some of that. our fans along the way. <laughs> no, uh, maybe no, pick I up just... a couple new ones. You know, you, you had come up with some sort of deceptive name, like everything awesome under the planet. And everybody will start listening to it and go, what? These guys are only talking about assistive technology. Jeez. <laughs> I don't, I, you had me for a little bit at this plan, but you've, you've, you've gone off the, gone into the weeds. You figure? Yeah. Yeah. But we'll talk, we will discuss, we'll, t we'll talk about this off mic, but you might be onto something there. So what, how are you guys doing? What's going on with uh, over there in whatever land? Whatever land? I know, man. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. My antibody. I'm. My brain is not. <laughs> I, I must are, have had an immediate effect of this vaccine. I'm you don't. You. you don't. You actually do any exercise, so it's not. It's not surprising that you'd have an antibody. Yeah. See. Exactly. Sooner or later, it's going to turn on you. <laughs> <laughs> 
it may have the tide may have already turned uh yeah no so how what's what's going on what's new over there what's what's happening oh it's getting pretty quiet summertime you know nice weather's here school's out people are wandering out of town to do all sorts of recreational things so yeah it's gotten a little quiet you know i want to do like a little bit of an update just for people who are outside of my, our area because this is i uh, this is kind of interesting it's completely very tragic but it's it's still interesting because last week we were complaining about the heat dome and and our big heat wave where we had gotten temperatures that we've never even dreamed of before and we talked about uh, the town of Lytton, BC, and how it had it, it had gotten up to like what 49? 49.6. and what was it? One hundred forty degrees? No, one hundred twenty. One hundred twenty. One hundred twenty Fahrenheit. One hundred twenty Fahrenheit. Yes. Yeah. So, what might interest people who are outside the area that may not know this is that uh, two days after that happened. Of course, uh, the entire town burned down and it is no longer in existence. Well, 90% of the town is burned down. Yeah. Yeah. The vast majority of it just yes. burned to the ground. Mm. Yeah. So luckily, I think did everybody got out, right? They got, did nope. they, did they manage no. to? No. Some people are dead. Oh, no way. I didn't hear that. Yeah. Yeah. How many now, Ryan? I last I heard was only the two seniors, I think, in their homes, but I think there's been at least a couple more, but I could right, be wrong. Right. Uh, yeah, son, a son and his uh, parents were escaping the flames and uh, the flames just swooped in on them. So the son took uh, shelter, well, tried to take shelter on I think, some railroad tracks or something. And the parents got into a hole in the ground that had been dug for some, some work that was being done on the property. And then a telephone pole fell over uh, electricity wires and all on top of them and killed them dead. Oh, geez. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. And the sun saw them go. Ugh. Yeah, it was bad. Bad, bad, bad. That's awful. Yeah. Awful. But uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's you know, climate change is kind of a thing, everybody. Like, I know there's been people out there that have been poo-pooing it, but let me tell you, it's not good. It's not a good situation. Coming for you. It is. It's that heat dome did sort of go work its way east, right? I don't know. Is it still around or is it still? Yeah, I think so. I think it's still, still uh, working its way east and north. Yeah. So uh, have fun with that. Yeah. There was actually, I think, an article I saw on Google News today that I don't know if it was here in BC or somewhere else, but literally possibly millions of creatures were killed because of that heat critters and critters in their shells are being cooked to death yeah because low they were out at low tide and the right. water couldn't keep them cool and they just cooked yeah yeah well they also said wasn't there some farms in in abbotsford some some like berry farms that yeah lots of crops have, have died yeah the ras the raspberry crop they usually have a massive raspberry crop out there it was destroyed um There's the okanagan's reporting that their cherry crop got uh severely damaged so yeah all of the all of the famous BC fruit that we love and enjoy so much when it comes into season is uh, having a hard time. Man, man, that sucks. Well, hopefully this is the, like they say, a once in a lifetime event. Cause man, if that happens again, oof. But I mean, as a result, like how many wildfires do they say are burning right now in the, in the province? I think there's over 200 now. Yeah. Oh. A couple hundred going now. Ugh. Yep. 
Yeah, that's a bummer. I, yeah, and it's only, you know, just just the first week of July. Uh, you know, we've still got two months of, of hot weather. Uh, oof, man. Uh, hey, let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, what the heck we're doing today, shall we? What are we doing today, Steve? Well, today we're going to talk to Stephanie Cadieu who is a uh, Canadian politician. Uh, she is a member of the British Columbia uh, Legislative Assembly and MLA. Uh, she represents the Liberal Party and she currently sits as the opposition critic for advanced education. And uh, when her party was in government, she was the Minister of Children and Family Development. Uh, she is also a former director of the uh, BC Paraplegic Association and a wheelchair user since the age of 18. Let's see, she was the uh, manager of accessibility for the Legacies Now Society. She's, she's done a whole bunch of wow. stuff. Wow, yeah. <laughs> Clearly overqualified to appear on this podcast. Absolutely. And she is going to talk to us about the new uh, legislation that's dropped in British Columbia for uh, accessibility. This is awesome. I'm actually really excited that uh, that we managed to to get her as a guest. We're, we're yeah, it's she wrote a great piece, uh, which is where she first showed up on my radar for uh, accessibility news international an opinion piece uh it that was actually titled in anticipation of a bc accessibility act she wrote it back in april um and uh it was great so i'm i'm really pleased that uh that we managed to get her so i think it's going to be a great conversation yeah, absolutely before we bring stephanie on though uh and speaking of the bc accessibility act did you guys see this this new this new bit of financial aid that the the act is actually offering to BC businesses to Yeah, to I was a little them. underwhelmed by it to be honest. It's uh it's a grant that the government is offering to help uh get more people with disabilities employed and employers can apply for this grant for up to drum roll please $1,000. What one thousand? Wait, and that's to what? Buy equipment? Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It says equipment um, modifications. So pretty much, I, it, it almost sounds like anything within that thousand dollar cap, right? So, good luck right. buying a laptop. Yeah, what yeah. bothers me about it is just the you know it's utterly impractical and insufficient. You know? mm -hmm. Now, granted, there are other programs such as well here in bc there's the uh, work bc uh, assistive technology program um so if somebody needed specifically assistive technology they could they could go through through that as well but uh in terms of you know say say for example uh, an employer wants to hire somebody in a wheelchair but their building doesn't have wheelchair accessible bathrooms that thousand dollars is a drop in the bucket it is right. nowhere near enough to, to do the kinds of modifications that you would want to see uh, for a proper accessible bathroom, for example. Sure. I, I see it as being pretty insufficient. Yeah, I'm just reading it here. It says the grant can be used to improve working environments, training and policies, as well as purchase tech technology and communication documents, such as ASL or Braille versions of policies or documents. I, I don't like... Oh, I mean, what, so what you can pay to have your 
your documentation your lost. Yeah. Your $1,000 is going to run out very quickly. Well, you're not going to be able to buy any sort of equipment. I mean, you might be able to buy, I don't know, like a license to Zoom text or something, but um, you know, I guess this would cover some stuff, but I don't, so I don't know. What are you guys feeling? Is, is this, is this better than nothing or is should I don't, like, I don't know. Anything is always better than nothing, but still needs some work. Yeah. Yeah. I still think there needs to be like a, whether it's government or third party resource website where people can go to find out what funding is available from who, you know, whether it's for making your washrooms wheelchair accessible, whether it's for putting ramps in your building, whether it's putting, you know, whatever it is you're looking for, what funding's available for what and from who, because I have no idea. Sure. Who would, you know, your small business owner that might be looking to hire somebody possibly in a wheelchair might want to make modifications, might be willing to go that extra, extra mile. Where do they start looking? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess uh, like reading it over, I mean, I, I guess it, I, I would chalk it up to better than nothing, but you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's not really, it doesn't really go very far and I don't know that it's going to be enough to really make a business case to small businesses to be like, Oh, Hey, look, let's hire somebody with a disability. Cause we can get like a grand to help mitigate some of the equipment that we might have to buy. Like I, yeah. I don't know, there's just been, there's been, there's been way better programs than this. Yes. Uh, in the past. I, I don't understand what gap this program is trying to fill, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, they would have been better off doing something like along the lines of um, what was that? What was that program they had for a while in, in BC a few years back um, where the ATI they, program, right? Like that wasn't without its faults. I think that they were a little bit too loose and they just bought anybody, anything. Um, but I mean, I think that, you know, some sort of a, a compromise between the two might have been a, a better idea than than this. Yeah, e EATI was a, was an interesting experiment, um, and and I would say a very successful one. Um, but uh, you're so right. can, sorry, can you can, can you can you just explain what what it actually did? So so the EATI program, uh, what does that stand for? Uh, I don't even remember what the acronym stood for now. It's been gone for a few years now. But basically, it was a program that made assistive technology accessible to anyone who self-identified as having a disability of any kind, uh, including cognitive disabilities. Um, and uh, they could go through a self-assessment process to determine what equipment they needed. They worked with a person who helped them uh, narrow that down to, you know, what they could actually justify as being a specific need. And uh, then the entire cost of it was paid for by the government, including uh, delivery setup training. And uh, uh, yeah, it got a lot of equipment into a lot of people's hands. Now, like I said, the it, it was somewhat subject to abuse because I think there were a few people who, you know, kind of played it a little bit said they had you know obscure disabilities and and uh um tried to get all kinds of crazy stuff um and sometimes were successful but for the most part i would i would say the program was uh was very successful because it got gear into people's hands you didn't have to have a job lined up 
to get the equipment. You just had to have a, a goal. Um, and that I think is, is a better way of approaching it than saying you've got to have the job because how do you learn the skills to get the job if you don't have the equipment that you need to learn the skills on? Right. Yeah, that makes totally makes sense. Well, well, there you go. I don't know. This grant is apparently it's, it's available until next year. Um, and then it, it's, it's up. I, I, I don't know if that means that maybe next year, they'll throw more money at it and it that that thousand dollars would be able to be increased i don't know uh, i guess we'll we'll see right we'll see how much our taxes go up next year oh ryan <laughs> hey we got to pay for the pandemic somehow that's right <laughs> hey if they don't go up i will be surprised <laughs> yeah, well, there and, you and, and i think a little bit disappointed you know if if <laughs> if we are taxing particularly the the wealthier um, mm. to help cover some of these costs. Um, we're, we're doing something wrong. True. As a society, we're just doing something wrong. Should be an air conditioner tax. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Steve. I need an air conditioner for my work environment. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Well, let's fly for it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Um, all right. Well, you know what? That's enough uh, of that. You know, why don't we um, let's go ahead and bring Stephanie on. Let's do a segue. This is a segue. Joining us now is Stephanie. Can you Stephanie, thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to join us today. I am Ryan Flurry, and joining me today is the host with the most Mr. Rob Minot. You keep saying that. It puts a lot of pressure on me. I'm just saying we'll have to have a post-podcast uh, meeting about that. Uh, but hello. Hello. <laughs> yeah, so Stephanie, we wanted to get you on because, well, there's been some movement in the news as of late. Um, Rob had actually suggested you as a guest a month or two ago when there was talk of an accessible BC Act coming into play. Yeah. And so that's what kind of drew our attention to you. And so... Here you are. All right. Well, why don't we get the ball rolling? I, I'm I'm just curious to know a little bit about about your own background and, and a little bit about you. So why don't we we kind of just start there? Sure. Um, well, uh, I was injured in a car crash when I was 18, uh, broke my neck, and uh, I am an incomplete tetraplegic or quadriplegic, depending on which language you like. Um, and so I've used a wheelchair my entire adult life. Um, uh, of course, being young, I uh, still had to to uh, get an education and, and that sort of thing. So I did all that and, and jumped around a bunch of things, um, trying to find what was right for me. Uh, eventually, I ended up landing a job with SCIBC. At the time, it was called the BC Paraplegic Association. Uh, they were starting a program called the Peer Program, which is a, a you know, a, a support program for individuals who are recovering from injury. Um, and, uh, but my career there morphed over time and I, I did a lot of, a lot of other things, um, started doing work with other disability organizations as well on the board of the Disability Association of BC um, and, and working with other disability organizations on advocacy issues. Um, started to spend a lot of time talking to government uh, at various levels, provincially, federally, municipally. Um, and, and ultimately I realized that uh, 
I, I think I realized that as an advocate, I wasn't particularly effective because I was a bit too pragmatic. And I, but I did want to see change. I did have a passion for, uh, for seeing programs and services and, and the environment improve for people with disabilities and thought maybe I could do more on the inside. So while I had never thought about politics uh, as a career, um, I was approached to run uh, in an election uh, and, and I decided to, to leap and, and do that. So in 2009, I ran uh, in my first election as an MLA, uh, got elected, uh, and I have now spent 12 years um, in the BC legislature. Uh, I've been elected four times now. I spent seven years, seven and seven years uh, cabinet table with a variety of portfolios. Um, and now uh, my party sits in opposition and uh, I have a role as the critic for uh, gender equity, access and inclusion. It's, it's interesting. It must have been a really, it's been a fascinating 12 years um, because there has been a lot of changes. Um, mm -hmm. Can you speak a little bit about, about that and, and just about, is it is it a pretty exciting time right now? You know, given your spot on the inside in terms of like the the Accessible Canada Act, and now we have the Accessible British Columbia Act. Right. Um, how, just what what has it been like from for you on the inside, in that sense? Slow and painful. No, um, <laughs> but yes, uh, slow and painful. The reality is that change is is slow. It is slow to come, and uh, you know when I got elected, I had to learn the ropes first. Um, and, and, and started informing, uh, I would say, my colleagues largely broadly in the legislature, uh, the staff at the legislature, and, and others about the challenges that people with disabilities face, even just the little things at the legislature, um, the little things that one would think were, uh, were obvious, but we didn't, the legislature didn't have an accessible front door. Wow. So people with disabilities who wanted to access the people's house uh, came in through a uh, a not to code backdoor, um, which is it just seemed so wrong. And and ultimately, we the legislature and the speaker at the time uh, saw fit to to make plans to to adjust that. So there is now a a permanent official accessible front entrance to the legislature. Things like powered doors inside the old building with the big heavy doors um, had to be added so that. I could get to everywhere um, that I needed to go in the legislature, accessible washrooms. Uh, there, there were only a couple um, and they weren't necessarily uh, particularly accessible in terms of where they were. So those sort of things have been improved since I've been there. Um, and, and the legislature continues to make those improvements. Um, the legislature had, a, had an MLA. Uh, he used a wheelchair in, oh, gosh, I think it was the 80s. <laughs> dating myself because I myself don't know the exact dates. Um, but uh, since then had always, you know, had always used um, when MLAs want to speak, they stand to be recognized. Uh, well, certainly that wasn't going to be an option for me. So they had to make uh, changes technologically uh, to allow for lights, uh, buttons and lights and things for me to, to signal that I wish to speak. Um, since then, uh, other two other MLAs and now a, a fourth uh, who use wheelchairs uh, have have been elected and and serve in the legislature. So it's there has been a lot of change just just in the legislature. But they 
but the bigger changes, like I say, um, and I'm sure you guys would understand this, it's, it's helping people understand um, the, the things that need to happen on a regular basis that they just don't see because they don't have the experience. Um, and over time, uh, my colleagues certainly uh, have learned a lot about accessibility and the need for us to make different arrangements uh, and, and to build an environment that is much more uh, inclusive. But policy uh, and legislation is slow to follow. Um, even with good intent and the, and the belief uh, or the will, it takes time. And so uh, I was thrilled um, when uh, uh, my friend and a former boss of mine, um, Carla Qualtro, was elected uh, to the federal uh, parliament and, uh, and appointed a cabinet minister and moved the, was able to move along the Accessible Canada Act and, and get that passed in the legislature. That was a huge day. Um, that's a huge day for our country because it, with our federal system, um, it, it really takes that kind of leadership at the federal level um, for, for other things to follow behind, uh, which is difficult for, I think, lots of people to, to accept and understand. Um, certainly people here had hoped that we would have an Accessible BC Act much sooner. But it really made sense uh, to wait until the federal law had been passed so we could build upon it um, and not, not, not be working at cross purposes. Uh, so there has been a ton of change in the last few years specifically. Um, and, and it's really exciting to see that, but we're still a long way um, from, from that really impacting people in their daily lives, because it'll take a long time for those acts to to build um, build the kind of change in the system that we ultimately all need to see. Yeah, because you know, and it's interesting too. The the article that that I that I read that you you wrote, um, you you talk about the attitudinal barriers, mm -hmm. and I really feel like there's there's sort of two prongs of attack with this. There's sort of they're sort of changed from the the bottom up and the top down, and the and the bottom up would be these these attitudinal barriers that, uh, or you know just people don't don't know what the lived experience of somebody with a disability is, and so they have these they they don't think of accessibility or inclusion necessarily naturally, so they need to be educated. Um, yeah. But at the same time, we you know we we have from the top down we have things like legislation and policy. In, in which which kind of do they do they sort of both work in conjunction or does one follow the other? H how does how do you sort of see that that sort of fitting together and, and trickling down? Well, my personal belief is that the attitudinal barriers that they the the, um, the I don't know barriers <laughs> um, are bigger and and they're more pervasive. And ultimately, I think they prevent us doing the right thing in legislation and policy. The legislation and policy though are essential as well because ultimately we also live in a world where people will do what they have to, not necessarily what is right. Right. And so on a regular basis when I'm out and talking to businesses, uh, whatever, they'll say, oh, well, I've done what I have to. That's all the law tells me I have to do. So right. I'm fine, right? And, and, you know, you would hope that through education and and information, people would would learn that that 
the law is just the base. It's not, it's not where we hope you'll be. It, it's, it's the absolute minimum. Um, and in some cases, it's just not enough. And so I think what we're seeing now with the Accessible Canada Act, the Accessible BC Act and others across the country is a recognition that the law needs to go further if we're gonna see the kind of change and inc for inclusion that we wish. Um, and it, it, it's interesting because I think societally, if you, if you were to look uh, sort of as a cohesive society, where do we sit? Yes, I, I believe we have accepted the idea of inclusion as a society, but individually and on, an, in, on a case by case basis, when you look at websites or you look at you know, the, your local corner store or restaurant, um, or even when you look at government policy at a big level, we don't always get it right. So while we've accepted that everybody should have, everybody regardless of their ability should be included and have the right to access our society to its fullest, we, we don't necessarily follow that through in practice. And so we do the, do, the two things work hand in hand and I think we've got a long way to go on both. So I totally agree that education is key, but I, like I'm totally blind myself and like you, if I'm out and about educating people about my stick or white cane and so mm -hmm. on, we've been educating people for decades. Um, and the message is getting across, but still slowly. Would it not make more sense for a government to mandate, have deadlines, have fines, and stand behind those fines and enforce what the law, what the standards require? Of businesses mm -hmm. instead of being maybe afraid of losing the next election or you know pissing off the small business owner down the street at some point something has to give yeah i don't disagree i, I and i've actually said it <laughs> um, <laughs> a number of times that that over 30 years i really i really have changed my perspective and originally i i as a person with a new disability and as you know i was learning myself but i really felt like you know, people would do the right thing if only they understood. So we just have to explain it to them and we just have to help them understand. I have, I have, I think over time, um, beaten my head against that wall enough times to know that that isn't enough. Uh, and that, you know, uh, more, or that, that indeed, uh, carrots aren't working. We need sticks. <laughs> um, so the, I, I do think, uh, that, that there, the laws that, that we put in place do need to be enforced um and and we, we do need to make sure they cover uh the breadth and depth of things that that we need to see change therein lies another problem and another challenge in that it will take a great deal of time sure. um for for governments uh at all levels where they're where they have authority and, and where they have jurisdiction um to put those things in place and and so when I say it's it being in government for 12 years, it has been frustrating. It has been frustrating to see that we can't move faster. Um, I am I am hopeful um, that we are we are moving forward now that you know both provincially and federally there are acts on the books. Um, but it, it it will undoubtedly be frustrating for the for the community of people uh, with various disabilities who. Of, of whom I am one, uh, who would really like to see it change tomorrow, right? Who've been waiting their entire lives uh, for this change to come and, and don't understand 
about why it has to take so long. Really, you know, I feel the same way. Um, so it's interesting because I always find I wear many hats and, right. and I have to, it's, I have to sometimes take the emotion out of it yeah. um, and look pragmatically at where, where are we? How do we, how do we make this happen? And, and realistically, what can we expect over what time frame? And at the same time, put on my, my advocacy hat and my individual hat and say, come on, let's go. It's not fast enough. <laughs> uh, you know, let's get it done. Um, so it, it's, a, it, it's certainly a challenge. And I think the other challenge is, is understanding and recognizing that the various, uh, all the various things uh, that require uh, change or adaptation um, so that people with all types of disabilities can be included. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's complex. It's, sure. it's not simple. Um, there are things that compete. Um, and undoubtedly, as, as uh, the National Standards Agency and, and the various provincial agencies that will be established or have been established uh, to do uh, the same, they will, there will be challenges uh, and arguments to be had, I think, around what the standards need to look like. Mm -hmm. uh, and, then, and then how do we enforce them? How do we educate first? How do, and how do we enforce? So it, there's a lot of learning uh, to be done at all levels as we go through this process. But, but at least we're there. At least it's on the books. <laughs> yeah, and that must be really hard to navigate sometimes. I, I could see like having, you know, both the, the advocacy hat on as, as well. Yeah, like even, even say the, 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 BC, the Accessible BC Act, it's great that we've got a pass, but yet it's it's gotten a, a little bit of a pushback and a little bit of heat from different advocacy mm -hmm. agencies about things like, you know, the, the lack of, of any sort of timelines or really like no real enforcement mechanisms. It, like, do you find yourself like really torn sometimes between yeah. two worlds? <laughs> Definitely uh, all the time. Um, and I and I and I do share a lot of the concerns about the act um, because it leaves a lot to chance. It leaves a lot um, to trust me, trust government that when whoever's in government at the time will continue to move these things forward and will work, um, you know, with diligence to to make this this happen as quickly as possible and. and you know, that's, that's tough uh, as an individual with a disability and an advocate and as a member of the opposition to accept. Um, so I, I too want to see those timelines. I, I, I am fearful uh, as well that this will become a process that is long and drawn out and that people will lose faith in the process because of that. So, you know, it's, it's incumbent upon the government uh, to continue to, to reinforce to the public uh, that they're committed to this, um, and their actions uh, will, you know, will bear that out or not as we move forward. Um, personally, definitely would have liked to see uh, timelines. Would have liked to see an external, um, independent uh, complaints mechanism uh, and for enforce and enforcement. Um, I am. Uh, I am not thrilled that it all resides within the Ministry of Government. Um, I think I think that that might be problematic. Um, but again, we are moving forward, and now it'll be up to us to to up to us as opposition up up to the 
the various advocacy groups, and we have a lot of very talented advocates across this country um, to, to really keep the pressure on and make sure that government doesn't lose focus. When the Accessible BC Act was, was being looked at, did, was the Ontario Disability Act or even the Accessible Canada Act taken into consideration in their current state and you know how we may be able to improve the BC Act or you know are we going to have conflicts between provincial acts and federal acts? Yeah I believe you know I I am told uh, and I do believe because there were very good people working on this um, that those other other pieces of legislation were were considered fully as a as and and the experience as well um especially from Ontario of that, of the rollout of the AODA um, was considered and, and, and that learnings were incorporated. Um, that said, uh, we, are, we are to believe that the, the attempt is going to be made to align uh, standards and things across the country. Um, my own personal experience uh, in, in cabinet would suggest, however, that <laughs> governments <laughs> governments really like to <laughs> to be different from each other and be, and and hold each other up as uh, you know well, we're better because we said this. Um, so so I am hopeful that doesn't happen with this. I am really hopeful um, that the advocates will win uh, and that and and that common sense will prevail uh, and that we will work towards a, sort of a common standard uh, across the country. I think that's really important. I think it's important both for people with disabilities to know what they can expect uh, wherever they go, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's important from uh, the perspective of the of the community that's going to be providing the access, whether that be the business community, the government, uh, and individuals, to be able to consistently understand what they need to do, um, and and not be up against different standards in different municipalities or different different uh, provinces, because so much of what we do. Um, and, and so, my, so many of these companies and institutions work across borders. So I think that's really important. Um, it's, it, it is frustrating, I think, um, for these things to happen in stages, right? It, each, each province ha- happens differently and the federal government um, at their, on their timeline, because for, for the user, for, for you or I, um, or a member of the community who who needs access to their to their place of employment or or the local grocery store, the the need is now, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, the challenge is that learning from these other other processes um, is slow, uh, and what we would hope is that we don't do any of it the same. But frankly, we're probably going to have a lot of, of the same challenges as we, as we roll out our, our legislation, I would, I would think. Um, just because I think part of that is, is that the, the whole thing is a learning experience and yeah. things change. I appreciate you taking the, taking the time to answer that. I didn't think we'd be throwing some of these hardballs at you, so I, I appreciate it. <laughs> Well, you know what? Let's let's switch gears a little bit and and still talk about the Accessible British Columbia Act, but let's talk a, a little bit about the positives and and what we're we're kind of happy with. Uh, this could be a short list. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you have to think that hard about it, oof. Well, right now, all it is is enabling legislation, which means that everything will be uh, 
will be borne out by regulation over time. So nothing uh, yet is, is, is really the right answer. Uh, and that said, um, it does learn from and largely take a similar approach to the Accessible Canada Act. And I think you know, largely the structure is, is good. Um, um, the, the fact that the intent is that the, the expressed intent is there for the standards to be developed and, and all of the work uh, that is to be done to be overseen by um, an advisory committee of people with disabilities and or and or um, people with expertise, technical committees, etc. I think you know that's good. It's good to know that it's not going to be one person in the in a in a in a tiny office somewhere um, trying to figure this all out. So it's, you know that that the community will be involved. We just we don't yet know um, what that looks like. They have, and to the government's credit, um, immediately moved to accept applications from the public for those advisory board positions. So that is something I am really pleased with. Um, we are moving forward. So I guess basically what you're saying is it's a it's a decent enough framework, but uh, we don't have any walls or a roof or anything up yet. Yeah, absolutely. The framework is there, but everything will be done by regulation, including which standards uh, will be built first, um, which areas of you know which jurisdictions will be will be dealt with under the act so it will they, they have expressly stated they'll start with government but then there are all the other um aspects of life uh, and and of of jurisdiction so municipalities <clears throat> excuse me um the the business sector the private sector uh that aren't yet expressly included and will have to be added by regulation. So the timelines on these things is is what will be challenging, I think, uh, and and potentially frustrating. But it does make sense to start with government to, for them to get their own house in order first uh, before demanding it of of uh, private enterprise. But but I think from the user perspective, the private enterprise piece is is probably uh, even more important. Uh, I'm hopeful that things will move quickly. I suggest you do a mass media blitz and tell everybody they've got 720 days. That's it. <laughs> Society will be accessible. <laughs> I don't think that would work. There's no um, choice. It will be accessible. <laughs> well, you know, let's talk a little bit about that. And because, you know, there, when you look at the big picture, there is just so much work to be done to really, mm -hmm. to hit that goal, to really make this province accessible across the board. I mean, you're talking about um, accessibility standards and, and, and the build environments that need to be retrofitted. Um, new build environments like really needs to be, um, legislated, I think, in, in new ways to really make them much more accessible than previously, where it's just like, well, you know, you have to have a wheelchair ramp and uh, a couple accessible bathrooms, and that's really it. How are we doing in terms of, of say, the build environment? Because a lot of times accessibility is sort of a, an afterthought. It's, it's something that we retrofit or we tack on. Yeah. But we have this opportunity going forward to say, okay, well, any, any new building that's going, to be, that's going to be built has to meet this new set of, of accessibility guidelines. How are we doing with that? Or is there any movement there? You know, again, so frustrating. Um, 
I think you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that's the piece that people sort of see, right? When we talk about accessibility, the thing that immediately pops to somebody's mind is a ramp or a power door opener, right? Um, or maybe, a, or maybe a, a larger washroom. And there's so much more than that that we have to do. Um, but we haven't even gotten that right yet. And, and, and that's the piece that everybody sort of understands. Um, I think it, the challenge is that the codes have been slow to adapt. And, and those codes uh, in, in our country, there is a fed, there's sort of federal code that through Canadian standards that, that is uh, for some set. Uh, then there's another, there, there's other codes provincially and then there's other codes municipally. And this is where I talk about, wouldn't it be nice to have one standard? Mm. <laughs> um, because it is it is challenging and, and they all sort of try to outdo each other a little bit. Um, but in all cases, I think we still don't have uh, enough clarity around what has to be accessible. Um, I think there are still too many exceptions to the rule, right? So you can build a two-story, uh, for example, a two-story um, warehouse type building uh, in an industrial park. Two stories, you don't have to have an elevator to the second floor. Well, that means that for eternity, no one with a wheelchair will be able to work in that environment. There's sort of, I think there are still these beliefs that somehow um, there are things that people with disabilities just won't do, places they won't go. And, and that's the, the mindset we have to shift. Um, and then that mind, once that mindset is shifted, hopefully we shift the codes to match. Um, because it's, it's difficult for people who are creating codes and deciding what applies to what, uh, if they have those um, unconscious biases hanging around uh, in their minds, uh, they'll make poor decisions. And, you know, uh, certainly people like me won't know uh, necessarily all the right questions to ask around um, around what's necessary for people who are blind or people who uh, are deaf in, in these circumstances and how to, in, in, in the built environment, how do we do that? We do need the experts. We need that, we need that panel of experts to create, uh, to create the standards and then, and then go by that and not, not keep reinventing the wheel and missing out on one aspect. So, so I think that's really important. Um, I think over time, you know, we got to a place with, with accessibility physically, um, you know, through the 90s, I would say, uh, where we thought we were doing pretty well because we were doing well compared to other places. Um, and it took, for example, the ADA in the States in 91, the implementation of that was a bumpy road. Uh, it wasn't easy. There was lots of, of animosity from businesses about things they had to do that were expensive. And, you know, it took time. But they, over time, I think probably largely um, moved ahead of Canada in terms of the level of access in, in what we would consider public spaces. Nobody anywhere seems to have moved forward in understanding that we need accessible housing. Um, this doesn't seem to be uh, a priority at all, but I think it's it's crazy that it's not a priority. It seems to be one of the things we should be thinking about first because everybody has to put their head down somewhere. Right. Um, so I think you know we've got a we've got a long way to go, even with just that basic physical physical access. See, we've circled back around to we need a bigger stick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> 
Well, you know, and, and thinking about the environment, you know, we still don't have audible pedestrian signals at every intersection, you know, Correct. that's an ongoing yeah. process as well, right? So if it's mm -hmm. taking whatever, 40 years to get audible traffic signals and we're still not there, good luck with the built environment. Exactly. And that's, and that's, I think, you know, the complexity, right? There's all these pieces. Um, and we have infrastructure across our country that is aging and, yeah. and established, and it takes a long time to, to bring it all up to the current code and then the code changes, and then we have yeah. to do that all again. Um, so I, I think there is, there is that complexity to it, but we, if we want to get all of the other pieces right, um, web accessibility, um, uh, communication, uh, you know, ways to ways so that people can communicate, these are, these are much more complex to actually in, implement in some ways than, than that physical access. And yet you can see from the experience with physical access that that alone is complex. It doesn't mean we shouldn't do it though. And, and we shouldn't throw our hands up in the air and say, oh, it's too hard, right? <laughs> or it's too expensive. Um, we have to get our mind, our mindset fixed. Again, back to the mindset issue. Um, we have to get to that place where people just don't just accept, oh yeah, of course we should be accessible, but not then ask the question, uh, what haven't I done? You know, what do I, where do I still have to go? What do I still have to do in my business or my, my, uh, my place? We have to, we still have to get, we've been working at both ends mm -hmm. uh, again of the spectrum, both the, the legislative and policy side and the information education and mindset change side. You have your work cut out for you. <laughs> yep. There's still a long way to go. <laughs> Gosh. Wow. I'm getting overwhelmed just talking about it. Um, yeah. You know, and you even think about it, you think about, you know, the ADA down in the States, you know, it's been around since 91, that's 30 years. And even then, I mean, at that point, they were just talking about physical build spaces. There, Correct. there was no yeah. such thing as the internet. And yet here, here along came the internet and they still screwed that up too. It took them years to like, think about, oh, okay, wait, digital accessibility. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. wait a minute. Like, yeah, we have to, we have to go back and retrofit that. And they're still, you know, well, fighting at, that fight. Yeah. Um, look at all the litigation regarding digital accessibility, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. For sure. Uh, so I think that you're right. I think that it, it is just this, this attitude that we need to change these, these base attitudes that people think about accessibility at the start. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think as, as we've gone through the pandemic, um, you know, it really highlighted inequities um, for people with disabilities in a lot of cases uh, and, and caused some concern about uh, people with disabilities not being considered um, with things that were being done and changed uh, in a hurry because of the pandemic. Things around, you know, access to, uh, to having their caregivers with them at, in, in circumstances and so on. Things that, that ultimately, you know, were addressed. But it also, it also provided us an opportunity as a society to go, hey, look, we can change when we want to. We can, we can actually solve problems as a, as a society when we want to. And I think we have to look at the experience of the pandemic and, and some of the things that have happened that have really been a benefit uh, to people with disabilities. Things like, like um, more things being available uh, to order online and, and have delivered. Um, the ability to do 
curbside pickup at businesses. Um, others might not think it's a big deal to jump out of the car and go grab something, but for a person with disability, having the opportunity to just call and have somebody deliver something to their car makes a huge difference. Um, and then again, from the perspective of being able to be included in public events or or uh, or the workforce, being able to for, for the fact that society as a whole kind of recognized that, wow, there are other ways of working and we can be <laughs> collaborative and productive using a tool like Zoom. Mm -hmm. It's, I think, opened up uh, opened up a lot of people's eyes to the realities uh, of, of technologies and things we can do that people with disabilities have been advocating for for years and asking for uh, for years. But until the broader society needed it in a hurry, uh, it was it was oh no that's too hard or or, or an, oh no that won't work well actually yeah it does and so we don't want to lose these gains we've made mm -hmm. um, through technology or or through uh, you know through necessity uh, this last year as we go back to back to some kind of normal which you know everybody everybody is is hopeful for and longing for um, but. But it's important that we don't lose the gains we've made because I think there there are gains for people with disabilities and things that we've learned through this last year that we can really apply to moving forward uh, with accessibility and inclusion on a broader scale. I think we just, you know, any, any new building that gets built in British Columbia, we just get Rick Hansen to show up at the opening for it <laughs> with a big stick. And if it's not right, the building can't open. <laughs> It gets, yeah, and, and I mean, in some ways, it's not that hard, right? Um, or it, it shouldn't be that hard. It should be that simple. It really should be, well, um, well we have inspe building inspectors and, and so on that, that I, think, I think don't know what they're looking for in some cases. Um, and, and it's not to, you know, it's not to shame anyone. I just think there's a lot of people that without having had the lived experience, We'll, we'll make adjustments to something thinking, oh, I'll be fine. Um, for example, uh, a number of years ago, uh, there was a, a shopping plaza being built in my constituency. And I was really excited about it. It was gonna be all new. It was neat to watch it watch it come up. Um, and, and the day it opened, I looked and I went, you gotta be kidding me. They had, they had um, not included curb cuts. To get from one to get from one section to another, um, and the and at the crosswalks. So, you know, the easiest solution would have been to build crosswalks um, that were raised, right? So, so that it so that you could go uh, across at the same level. Um, in the end, they 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 took a different approach um, and did curb cuts and whatever. But it's really not ideal still to this day. It could have, I, I'm sure that on the plans, it was probably correct, but somebody in, in their wisdom, when they decided to, you know, pour the sidewalk, oh, we don't need it there, right? Um, and, and didn't think through why are these, why are these things on the plans? Why, why is it being uh, specced this way? Um, and then, you know, for the, for a building inspector or, or whichever uh, to, to approve something for opening that, that clearly isn't to code, is concerning, right? Because what, what happens? Nothing. Um, and then it's up to you or I or, or someone else to, to bring a complaint. And, you know, and it's, it's time consuming, it's frustrating, it's demoralizing. Um, 
there's got to be a better way. And, and, and I think the challenge there is that we have, we have all these steps, but not everybody uh, who's involved in the steps understands why we're, why we're doing things the way we're doing them. It's like doors that swing the wrong way into bathrooms right. that, so that a person with a disability once in it can no longer close the door. Um, well, all, all it means, all the, the, the big change necessary is to switch the hinges from one side to the other. But it's remarkable how often um, these mistakes are made. Like you said before, Stephanie, it goes back to education. Yeah, I think I think it definitely needs to be a bigger part of the conversation um, at the at the sort of at the beginning, right? And and at the beginning, not just from an architectural perspective, but also a design perspective, mm -hmm. because of course there's the physical space, and then there's what you put in the physical space that also uh, can create those problems, whether it's colors or contrast or lack of. Um, or whether it's furniture or garbage cans or right. planters, um, you know, some of some of my biggest frustrations have been garbage cans that are placed in the middle of sidewalks or you know blocking door openers or or what have you. Yes, we need the garbage can, but if you put it two feet the other way, it would have been fine. But where it's placed completely, you know, uh, blocks all of the access. So again it's it's so there's so many pieces so many people have to be informed it's really one of these things we need to be doing a much broader education on spark bc um social planning and research council has just recently put out some psas on uh, on accessible parking you know why are the spaces the way they are why are those uh, access aisles in the middle why is that necessary um, and and they've, they've done a really good job of it. So I think we just need to, we probably as a society doing a lot more of that. And I think that the responsibility for that education piece needs to needs to come from government. It, it can't be left to the advocates. Uh, it, it really has to has to come from from the governing bodies. Yeah, that reminds me of a story that I remember seeing. I think it was a few years ago, um, but it was is a perfect example of that where a restaurant had. Uh, an accessible accessible washroom that was all great, but the way that they had developed their floor plan, floor plan, they had put so many tables within the restaurant. There was literally no space to actually navigate a wheelchair in between all the tables, um, and you know it 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 only made the news because somebody in a wheelchair tried to tried to go to the restaurant and was basically turned away they offered to you know get them takeout and bring the takeout out to them but you know that was their solution because yeah. they didn't want to reduce the number of tables in the restaurant because of course that would impact their bottom line etc cetera, etc cetera. you know it made the news and you know it sparked a little bit of a you know an outrage on twitter but then that's it that's that's the end of it and things mm -hmm. just sort of settle back to normal and nothing yeah. really ever gets done and i think that that's part of the problem it's it's really this you know we need to to change these attitudes um on the ground and really make people understand what the lived experience of of people are and and how important it is to to really think through the accessibility yeah definitely agree there are examples like that you know daily that i experience and, and others and, and i i through my networks now know so many people with so many different uh experiences of disability for all sorts of reasons and and disabilities and and conditions and all of these things and you know it's really it is complex and it is it is uh there is a lot to learn and we have to be somewhat patient with those who have not um experienced any of these things 
um, as frustrating as it is for us to, to have to explain over and over what we need. But it isn't, it is, that is part of the experience. I mean, the, it is part of the need um, that we all, all understand the broader uh, goals and, and are a part of the solution in terms of, of sharing. But we also need to have a, a clear place uh, to send people for information, right? This is, here's the standard, here's the, here's what you need to do. Uh, let me, let me give that to you. Um, so that we also don't have a situation where uh, businesses think they've done the right thing because they've asked somebody with a disability um, and that person has said, yeah, you're great, you've done everything. Uh, but they've forgotten that it's not just about uh, a wheelchair user or it's not just about uh, somebody who's blind, but it's actually all of all of the things that we need to do. And that, you know, circles back to um, universal design. You know, it may not be best for every, or best or perfect for everyone, but it is best for everyone, right? So um, I think I think that's really important as we go through this. And I think what, we're, what we see now with the movement from the various levels of government is, is an understanding that, that this is complex and that we need to, we need to do better. Um, and, and a structure within which to do it. It's, it's now going to take time, but, but that structure now exists and, and we, have, we have a place to, to start and, and certainly the federal government's done a lot of work internally um, on that to, to sort of lead by example. And, and that I believe is what the provincial government now, now sees, uh, sees their role as as well. See, I like that. It's positive. See, ending on a positive exactly. note. Exactly. <laughs> We just need to get the walls up and the ceiling up and the wheelchair ramp in, and then we're okay. Um, <laughs> and the plumbing. Don't forget plumbing. The, oh, okay. Sorry. And the, plumbing. <laughs> the plumbing. Indoor plumbing. And the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate the conversation today and, and, uh, and the work you guys do, and, and we'll, we'll keep up the fight together, and step by step, we're going to get there. Yeah, it sounds good. I would, I mean, we'd love to have you back. And I, I feel like we could even just talk about housing for like an hour. Oh, uh, yeah. That, I, I do really feel like that's, that's a real, yeah, that's a big mm -hmm. one. That is a it huge is one. Huge. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll plan for that. We'll have you back on and uh, it'll, it'll be all about housing. Great. Really nice to talk to you guys today. Thanks all right. So much for your time. Yeah. Thanks so much, Stephanie. Talk to you again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right. Oh man, that was great. I love, I love that. It was so nice to talk to somebody who actually is on the inside that can give us that overview of, of what the heck the BC Accessibility Act is. And I love the, the way that she, she described it as, you know, basically the framework of a house. Well, and I really appreciated how open and honest and forthcoming she was, right? She didn't try to, to, paint a pretty picture of the way things are. She was right up front and honest with us and told us as things are, as it is right now. Yeah. That you'll, must... note, you'll note that even though she's in opposition, she didn't bag on the governing party either. You know, she nope. was very, very uh, respectful through the whole thing. And, and uh, you know, a, a lot of times politicians put in that position, they'll, they'll take that opportunity to uh, sling some mud and she was, uh, straight up and straightforward and great so i'd vote for her yeah see there you go me too you listen to that surrey voters you vote for her she's good all our listeners don't, don't, don't tell the ndps that i said that 
But no, that must be really difficult to, when you're when you're wearing several hats. Like you're you're you've got one foot in the advocacy space and you've got one foot in the you know in the government space, and you've got to you've got to do this balancing act. Uh, it's got to be really difficult and and really frustrating at times. So uh, you know, kudos to her. I couldn't do it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know anybody who signs up to be a politician these days. Um, man, you. You got to have thick skin, you know. I, I yeah. couldn't do it. There's no way I could do it. I know you couldn't even stay on Facebook. No, <laughs> you had to bail. There's no way you could be a politician. My no, <laughs> no, I'd never survive. <laughs> they are way tougher than I am. It's it, 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 you know, in a way, it's a little bit of a bummer to hear to hear her say like that. It's it's a long haul. Like it's going to take a long time to to get to spin all these things up and to really get them going and to really see some change. Um, and especially when you look at the Ontario act and how long they've been at it and they're still, you know, they're, they're still cranking away at it and still trying to get that thing going. And I think they're going to, I mean, when did that, does anyone remember when that came into effect? Wasn't it around 20? Well, it's been, it's been staged, right? They, had different aspects of it that came into effect over a period of time. But wasn't it, I think it was a 10 year plan, right? I think it came into existence around 2015 and then they, they were like, by 2025, we're going to be a, an accessible province, but they're not even close. There, there's no way they're going to hit that 1997. What? 97. Is when it became law. Uh, EAODA? Really? The Ontario Disability Support Program Act 1997 provides, oh no, that's a different one. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, Ontarians with Disabilities Act 2001. 2001. Oh my gosh, that's still terrible. 24 years, they gave themselves 24 years to become an accessible province and they're, they're not even close. Uh, 2001 is only 19, 20 years. 20 years. Oh, whatever. <laughs> that's why we're not in math. Those antibodies again. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh yeah that's awful that's yeah we're I mean, not gonna awful, see it in our lifetime awful. but I, mean, I just mean yeah it, it's and but i guess you know the process has to start somewhere but it's a little bit of a bummer that you know it, it's it's gonna be a long uphill battle as usual well unless has, unless a government decides to accelerate it which we should be pushing for yeah you're right well and that's something i was thinking about after our conversation with her is you know, she was talking about the government buildings and having to move bathrooms and make bathrooms accessible and, you know, make all these adaptations for her needs. And it's interesting that you never hear anybody pushing their accessibility movements. Like I had no idea the parliament buildings weren't accessible or mm -hmm. the changes that have been made. Like why aren't people talking about accessibility and the enhancements they're making, you know, if they made announcements like that and advertised that, look, come to our public hearings, we have accessible washrooms, wheelchair ramps, whatever, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, start, start telling people you're accessible. The dollars will come. <laughs> well, you know, it's, I also find that it was really interesting too, because she's not the only one that's mentioned this, um, but talking about how COVID has really illuminated a lot of the holes in the system, which I thought it was really interesting to hear her say that too, because you know we, we, we've heard multiple people from multiple different organizations say that. So hopefully 
we can use that as momentum to, to fix some of those holes. Um, and not just, you know, my worst fear with this whole post COVID thing is that we're just going to go right back to where we were, just put everything back and not have learned anything. And I really hope that that's, that's not the case, certainly in the, in the disability um, field. Yeah, I think we will see some of that, but I think the flip side of that is, especially a lot of employers have seen that why do I need to be paying $40,000 a month in rent for all this office space when my workers can work from home and they're just as, if not more productive? Uh, sure. You know, sure. I think there's a flip side to that that is going to carry on as well. Sure. But if you also think back during the pandemic too, there was all these other issues too, like, you know, caregivers and, and how the, that whole system worked. Um, yep. The, the fact that, you know, the poverty in, in the disability community is so high and all the, the extra funding that they had to um, sink into to that. I mean, that should really shine a light on the fact that there's, there's a real problem with, with poverty within the disability community that needs to be addressed. Housing, same thing, like all these things, all these huge issues um, really, really got driven to the forefront for a while. And I think that, you know, that's something else that we need to keep the momentum on and keep that spotlight on is that it needs to be addressed and it needs to be, something needs to be done about them. Well, I think too, early on booking your vaccines wasn't accessible. Sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. that should have been like, day one like this isn't new yeah. digital accessibility you're right that's another great you know it 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 drove home the the really importance of something like digital accessibility and i was thinking about that too when she was talking about things like um you know covid really allowed us to to like order online and do a lot of things online and i was like yeah well that's great and all but part of the problem is that if if those if those services aren't accessible in terms of like a screen reader or whatever app or website that you're, you're logging into, it's useless. You're still locked out. Yeah. Still yeah. locked out. So, you know, we have a long ways to go in there too. So, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know if it's the vaccine or if it's uh, just that, but man, it's making me tired. It's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. You know, one, one thing that you mentioned, you, you suggested that we should have her back to talk about housing. And I think that would be a great idea. You know, there's a there's a guy I went to high school with uh, uh, named Paul Gautier, who uh, uh, has he, he's been disabled for some time, and uh, he he runs the um, Individualized Funding Resource Center Society, and I think he would be another great guy to have to come and talk about um, housing, because he had a battle for years to try and get housing where where he could live and and you know function in a power chair and and he he was hindered at every turn in in that effort really so, yeah yeah well if you have somebody send them along you know in the past we have spoken to anita hoffer from inclusio mm -hmm. um, which was inclusive housing i think they were in alberta yeah um yeah. So, yeah i'm sure right across the country that that's a huge issue that nobody's addressing so yeah yeah, yeah. well and that yeah, we should try yeah. and get a bunch of people from different provinces and a minister, like a federal minister, like, uh, say, a Carla Waltro. <laughs> <laughs> you laugh because you can't get her. <laughs> Yet. Damn it. Yet. Wow. I'll have my day. 
<laughs> to have like a town hall or something on the podcast. Look at yeah. you guys workshopping ideas. I think that would be a great idea. I think that would be a good one. I love it. Ready? No, I do. I, I love it. I would love to. I think we should should um, definitely um, see about talking to somebody about housing because I do feel like that. And, and you know, even the poverty issue, like talking to some some of the, the different advocacy agencies that that um, specialize in that, um, I think would be great. So write them down, send me a note. I will. All right. Well, Ryan. So, no, we're not done. Okay, what what's 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 we up? We are rebranding the podcast. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. dun dun dun. That's right. We are seeking names, potential names for our rebranding of the AT Banter podcast. We're not going to go couple... with my suggestion of rock and roll extravaganza. We considered it for a while. <laughs> it's on the list. We've had a couple emails come in, so thank you to those who have submitted their answers. Uh, really? Yeah, I sent. Are you I just making it. that up? No, I sent them to you and Steve. Read your email. You, you did? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I saw it. Were they? How was? How? Okay. Well, I won't, we won't talk about that on. on I don't the, think yes, any we, of the suggestions so far are anywhere near as good as rock and roll extravaganza. <laughs> okay, well, let's say who we are, what we do. <laughs> okay, that was it. That was your. Well, okay. you're about to say something, so I stopped. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I jumped up. It's it's the antibodies. <laughs> So, yes, if you have suggestions for potential names for our podcast, please send them along to Cowbell. What the hell was that? <laughs> send them along to Cowbell at atbanter.com. Uh, and I would just like to add, if you are going to include curse words, um, please, please spell them correctly. <laughs> F you. Don't read them. You. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing worse than somebody who is cursing us out and did not think to run it through spell check. Nothing has two K's. It's not two K's. Just saying. Sure, why two K? <laughs> uh, hey Ryan. Rob. Uh, we're getting silly. Let's let's get the let's get get out of here. Uh, where can people find us? They can find us online currently at atbanter.com. They can also drop us an email at that email address that Ryan just told you at cowbell at atbanter.com. Oh, that was, you guys should actually just cut that bit right there and use it every time because that was perfect. Yeah, I know. Well, we're getting, it's the one thing that we're good at now. Rob would save himself so much time if he just cut, paste, cut, paste. People, know, right? <laughs> people love this part. People love it. They, this is what they, they usually fast forward 45 minutes just. Let's just to get, get here, just no, to get here, and find out things like, "Hey, we're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter." So you should use this ending for like the next seven episodes. It'd be like our Groundhog Day episode. <laughs> I would never know, <laughs> audience members. I would never do that. I know that I, lesser podcasts would just click that and just reuse it. No, you're getting fresh, fresh at banterness every single episode. We're working hard. We're the work. We're the hardest working podcast in the world. No, <gasps> there you go. Boom. <laughs> Name. That's hardest it. Working podcast. Hardest working podcast in the world. There you go. That's a pretty crappy yeah. acronym. What would the acronym be? I like it. I don't know. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Let me work it out here. <laughs> HW. That's not good. <laughs> oh, wow. HWPW. 
If you drop the in the world. Otherwise, it's HW Pit W. Okay, well, we'll work on that. We'll workshop that. And we can pull <laughs> that the letters in there and make it. Yeah, it's not going to work. Kawapi. Uh, hey, what's... Okay, well, that that's it. That's it. Let's get out of here, boys. Uh, that is going to about do it for us this week. <gasps> Big thanks, of course. Yes? I just thought of one. What? Lazy-ass podcast show. That yeah. way, any of our listeners, <laughs> if anybody asks them what they're doing, they can say... I'm doing laps. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's exercise. Okay, doing laps. Let's, we'll, add, we'll add that to the list. Okay, right under rock and roll extravaganza. <laughs> Although, which is growing on me, incidentally. Uh, anyways, uh, th- big thanks to everybody for listening in, and we will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H.com. Or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com.